Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome to the Uphill Climb podcast, a four-part series where we talk with some of the amazing women who have led the way in shaping women's professional cycling. We take a deep dive into their stories. I'm your host, Jill Yesko, director of the documentary Uphill Climb, The Women Who Conquered the Impossible Race. Voir une femme jouer au football. Non, mais c'est vrai. Je le reconnais. Voir une femme danser, c'est très joli. Voir une femme jouer au football, c'est moche. You're hearing a clip of former professional cyclist Mark Matteo dressing down 13-time world champion Jeannie Longo during a 1986 televised interview. During the tirade, Matteo says that seeing women on a bike is ugly and goes on to accuse Longo herself of being ugly. Unfortunately, this horrendous episode wasn't an isolated incident. Women cyclists have faced innumerable hurdles fighting for their place at the table, from outright misogyny to receiving a pittance of prize money given to male racers. Women racers, especially those who competed in the 1980s, faced a litany of hurdles and hardships. Today's guest is cyclist Janelle Parks Graham. Janelle competed for the U.S. in the road race at the 1984 Olympics and earned a silver medal two years later in the World Championships. She rode in the 1985 Tour de France Feminine, where she finished seventh. Janelle remembers the highs and lows of being an elite cyclist in the 1980s, recalling everything from having to make her own jersey from scratch to eating wild boar after a grueling day of racing. Janelle says that the hardships faced by women cyclists in the 1980s were the price they paid for the love of their sport. Janelle Parks Graham, welcome to the Uphill Climb podcast. Thank you, Jill. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. Just for our listeners, so you're not thrown off by Janelle's uh, Aussie accent, she, she is now an Australian citizen. She lives in Perth, but... You originally came out, you are an Ohio girl. You came out of the, the, Buckeye, right. the Buckeye State, uh, the Dayton area, if I'm correct, right? That's right. Totally corn-fed, homegrown. Yep. Nice. And tell me, uh, Janelle, tell me about your first bike race. Oh, wow, Jill, that's going back a bit. But um, look, I didn't even start cycling until I had started university. Um, and I just got involved with a local university club that loved to do, uh, cycle cross in the winter, seemed like a game sport, uh, and did, did a few training rides and I suppose you could call them races, but not really. So the first time I actually got on the road, I was borrowing somebody's bike and, uh, 
I think it was in Cincinnati. We went down. It was a very hilly course. If anybody's been in Cincinnati, they know the terrain down there. And I thought I was pretty good uh, because I was keeping up with all the local training rides. Well, I got dropped very quickly right at the beginning. Ouch. Yeah. That's okay, though, because even though I don't think I came in last, but it was pretty close to last. And um, it was a bit of a humility kind of, you know, oh, this is bike. It was still fun, though. You know, it was still fun. And that's that was the hooker. I loved uh, the people in the atmosphere. So that was that was my draw card. You know, I've been dropped a lot of times, too, and, and there's only one way to go from there, which is to improve and, and go up. And your cycling career really was fairly meteoric after that. Uh, you qualified for nationals and you were a Huffy sponsored athlete, yet you still had to make your way out to nationals. So tell me, tell me the saga of getting from Ohio to San Diego for nationals. Oh, yes. So back in the days, we actually had a lot of Midwest uh, racing uh, local stuff to do. As in the East Coast, you were an East Coast girl. You would have had Correct. a lot of co- you know races in your East Coast. You kind of stayed in your general region. But when Nationals came, I was in San Diego that year. And uh, I thought, oh, I'd done fairly well with a lot of the local things. I thought, well, maybe uh, I can get out to Nationals and give it a go. Um Huffy wasn't going to have a bar of it. No, nah, there's no funding. Uh, the local club, we didn't really have fundraisers or it wasn't a, really a thing back then. Um, so I just kind of let it go. And somebody called me like two days before nationals and said, actually, Huffy's come up with some money and they want to send you. And so that was again, back in the days when you had to call a travel agent and book your cheapest flights. Well, I think I had about five connections. It was ridiculous. Anyways, I got there uh, the night before the race at about 11 o'clock at night, having uh, got my hire car. There was no place open except for Taco Bell. I was starving. So I got myself a couple bean burritos and went back to the hotel room and put my bike together uh, in time for, you know, a couple hours sleep. Got to the, the race start the next day, had my cold bean burrito, my extra one that I had tucked away in the little porta fridge in the hotel room um, and came in second. So I won the silver medal in the nationals uh, run on bean burritos. You know, had I been thinking outside the box at that time, I would have approached Taco Bell and said, look, I'm your star, you know, give me a Taco Bell jersey. Um, but uh, anyway, so that was, you know, that was that was the reality of back then. There weren't 24 hour, uh, restaurants and things open. It would Taco Bell was, you know, as good as you were going to get. And that was my dinner and breakfast. So, um, finished the race, got home, had a lovely warm welcoming. And that was, that was pretty much the trajectory from there. That's such a good sort of summation of cycling in the, in the eighties, the, um, Probably, did you have your bike disassembled in a big bike box that you had to oh, yeah. take on? Yeah, five? yeah. No swan. And how I got the tools on on board again back then, you know, it didn't probably blink twice with you having a huge crescent wrench or, you know, <laughs> things like that in your bag. 
<laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, Janelle, breakfast and dinner of, of champions, the, the be yeah. bean burrito um, yeah. got you second place. That's that's just an awesome story. Mm. Um, you know, and again, that sort of underscores the carnival like atmosphere that was uh, that was cycling in the 80s. The theme of this podcast is it's hardships, um, the obstacles that that we faced as women cyclists in the in the 80s, I mean, some were a lot more lighthearted than others, but really having to DIY this completely yourself and almost winning nationals really underscores what a, a plucky champion you are, Janelle. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I still like bean burritos to this day, so that's, you know, <laughs> good call. Continuing with the, the DIY theme, you also rode uh, the most prestigious stage race, domestic stage race, which was the Coors Classic. And I know you have some um, really interesting memories of of that, aside from the racing, that include um, procuring sewing machines. So can you can you enlighten yeah. us <laughs> about well, that? Well, that is a funny story, Jill, because look, I, I was, this was 1983, I was still fairly new in the game as they say and this boyfriend and i had uh, we're, again huffy had decided to sponsor a team for the course classic for the first time so the only orders i got were uh you need to be in colorado at this date at that uh you know there's three week kind of window for you to build up a uh, colorado is it it uh altitude what they call altitude mile high so you want to try and acclimate, get your blood, uh, making enough blood cells at that time. So uh, you want to get out there as early as you can. So I had a schedule all figured out. My boyfriend and I started uh, figuring how we were going to drive out there. So we made our way out. Um, I met up with the girls. They got there uh, a couple of days after I arrived. And one of them said well how good are you with sewing and i said ah i can sew and she said oh well that's good because we're gonna have to make all of our own jerseys and skin suits and i was looking at her thinking what do you mean <laughs> we're gonna make our own stuff and she said yeah she goes we've got some shorts we didn't have to make the shorts at least, but uh, we couldn't come up with any jerseys or anything. So out we went shopping for, uh, and again, this is in the 80s, so not a lot of stores carrying Lycra. <laughs> uh, so we had to find some Lycra, find uh, a couple sewing machines to hire, and we made our own, and then we had them not sublimated. They didn't even have sublimation back then for your uh you know, decals and everything. We just had them pressed from like a t-shirt shop. And so we had our jerseys and skin suits made. Voila. Self-made. 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 And may I say that mine looked pretty darn good and I still have it in a box somewhere. So it's withstood time. Unbelievable. I mean, you you tell these stories to any of the women in the pro peloton now, they look at you like you had three heads. It was just yeah. beyond comprehension. Yeah. But the thing was, Jill, on that too, is it wasn't like, oh, you you know, it wasn't like a bad thing. It was just like, oh, oh, we have to make our stuff. Okay. So, okay, we'll just get on with it, find our stuff and 
if we had to wear t-shirts sewn onto shorts and we probably would have ended up doing that and nobody would have been the wiser right so janelle it's 1985 and you are have been selected for the u.s squad at the tour de france feminine and uh you got yourself to europe probably with more bike boxes and crescent wrenches tell tell me about your journey from um from the u.s to to france to start the race so we ended up taking i don't know if you remember the old people's express 99 dollars absolutely jersey to jersey to uh i think belgium i i can't even remember where we arrived anyways yeah trains planes automobiles up to Brittany, where we started uh we were given bikes three days before the tour started. So we had uh, one mechanic amongst 12 of us girls trying to sort all of us out, which was, you know, the poor man deserved a medal after this. Um, And that was how we started. Basically, it was all on, you know, nickels and dimes, but we were all thrilled to be there. And you didn't have to make your own jerseys for this no no, we didn't have to make our own jerseys (laughs) no came with uh some kit and i must say i'm not gonna uh you know belittle uh, the sponsors but at that time we didn't have a lot of sophisticated lycra and sophisticated materials that we have now and the jerseys were made out of a uh, a nylon kind of fabric that we found out very quickly when they got wet they turned into dresses. So we, yeah, or you put anything in your pockets, it would swing around to the front of you. So it was uh, quite comical. Everybody wanted the smallest jersey possible just for that pos- for that point. But um, they had, again, assumed that we were men kind of figures. So they had given us mostly mediums and, you know, largest jerseys. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So, Janelle, you kept a tour diary. And I'm wondering if you can read a couple, set, set us up and read a couple of excerpts from your first-person account that you was it were you uh, writing this every night like you get back to your hotel room and I think I must have I don't really remember uh a lot about that time but um it was a few years ago right but I I must have wrote in a and and I just dictated it at some point in time when I had more energy dear diary Dear diary. So, well, one of the, uh, look, I have a lot of funny excerpts, but um, 
and some, I think just the emotions when you've got uh, seven people stuffed into a car each day after and before a race. I mean, these, yes, they were kind of like station wagony kind of cars, but you only had one car to transport all, all your riders. So it was a driver and six girls. And then you had the mechanics car, uh, which was stuffed full of bikes and, you know, bits and pieces and food and the swanier and everything else. So let's just say by the end of the stage, and oftentimes at the beginning of the stage, there are a lot of heated discussions, arguments. You got the front seat last time. Why do I have to sit in the back next to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or um, And oftentimes you were in the car uh, for hours, depending on you, you didn't start at the same start starting point as the men the next day you often started in another smaller village so we would uh you know we'd have quite a long travel to go and i understand just one other point <clears throat> sometimes you were uh your stage would begin at the base of the climb with without any preamble oh, yeah. warm up yes well i've got a little story on that as as you mentioned that. Tell so, us. So this is stage nine, I think. Janelle, read us a little bit of your tour diary from that day. Uh, today was an especially difficult day with two category one climbs to start with and a category two climb to finish up to the Arrive. I hung on with a group of about 14 halfway up the first cat climb cat one climb, then lost contact. Longo was away chasing Canine. So Maria Canines was uh, the other super champion in that era, Maria Canines and Jeannie Longo. She was chasing Canines until we caught her about a mile up the mountain. She was cooked. She was crying. She tried to get off her bike several times while Massard, her coach, was yelling at her in French. It was all this big spectacle. I. I was climbing up and I couldn't I couldn't even realize what the hell was going on. Why was she sitting on the side of the road crying her eyes out and her coach yelling at her? Well, I realized later in the race after I got the goose from other people that a couple of her teammates uh, had attacked her earlier on. Um, and I think she just blew her lid. But um, so... Anyways, flogging up the climbs by then, there were quite a few people getting pushes and slings from bystanders, which is, uh, I don't know, it's legal, I suppose, to some degree. I mean, it happens, right? I love your tour diary. Read us some more about the crowds. You see past ex-racers in their old wool team jerseys and nail-cleated shoes, and they're they're on the side of the road, and they've been riding up and down these passes. You know, they they would have these fond memories of riding or watching former tours cloud their mind and leaves lingering smiles on their, their weather-beaten and joyous faces. I mean, you know, these these people live and breathe Tour de France, so it was... It was a joy, actually, just to even be amongst them. Back to you, climbing in the Tour de France Feminine. So I'm halfway up the Tourmalet, and I hear this, Go Janelle! Go JP! And a bunch of groupies 
from Ohio were crunched in between hundreds of other fans and were cheering for their homeboy. And so you, um, you finish the stage and you go back to the, the team car. Uh, I suppose you take off your, your cleats and uh, perhaps change your clothes, no showers ever, and get stuffed in the car and driven off to your hotel. And uh, by this time it's late at night and you're starving. And what are the kinds of foods that you would typically be refueling with uh, after, after a difficult stage? Well, really, uh, Jill, you were kind of at the mercy. We didn't have soigneurs that could go into kitchens and demand that, you know, we have high carbohydrate, uh, low fat, high protein, this or that, or gluten-free, blah, blah, blah. It was literally wherever we rocked up, is the kitchen open? Can you make us something? We've got 12 girls and uh, three, you know, adults that need feeding. So um, we, I'm not sure if it was exactly that night or one of the other nights, but we rocked up probably around 11 o'clock in the middle of this country town and no, no, mind you, the, the, the accommodation had been uh, already arranged by somebody. So that wasn't the problem. It was just making sure that we got fed. And this this particular place um, had already planned on us coming in and had prepared the local specialty, which was boar, which I had never, uh, well, you know, it, it, how many opportunities do you get to eat boar unless you're, you know? Especially after a race, because that is exactly, exactly the kind of post-race fuel that you want. Digest mm. easily, mm. late at night, sounds like a delicious meal. Yeah. But yeah. if it's all you got. Well, yeah, no, it, it, that was fine. It was very gamey. I, I remember that. And I remember, you know, because they brought out plates for all of us. And I remember looking at it thinking, what the hell is all this hair and uh, it looked like quills and stuff on it. And I, and at that time, again, uh, you just, you, you just come in, you set your bags down in your room and you go into the, wherever you're eating and you just eat, you don't sit there and go, Oh, what's, you know, what kind of salad do we have to No, just eat. And I'm looking at this going and I'm looking around asking, does, does anybody know what this is? And finally, uh, somebody got a hold of i suppose it, it, and it smelled gamey too so we were all a bit perplexed but anyways the, it, it ended up being boar somebody told us that it was boar and that was why there was quills and fur and uh well i shouldn't say fur hair um so we had our own toothpicks to end the the meal with right you know i mean it was interesting and it was it was good we all ate it i mean all of us except there was a vegetarian person on there and they ate a lot of potatoes so so you know the 80s were quite a decade for for women's cycling the good the bad the everything the everything in between um and i think that your racing career which spanned that really um you really hit a lot of the highs and, and definitely like kind of skim some of the, some of the lows. What are your what are your kind of closing thoughts on uh, cycling in the eighties? It was a very welcoming and warm and inclusive environment. Um, we we didn't race for money. Oh, there might have been a small purse 
and actually to the later 80s when when some of the major corporations uh, started getting involved in some of the more visible racing, like the Criteriums, and had those in major cities all through the U.S. Those were big cash cows. And you could you could stand to make quite a lot of money there, but that wasn't the reason you went into it. It was it was the camaraderie, it was the chance of travel, it was the chance to have some fun and meet other people and compete in this amazing sport. There's nothing else quite like it, uh, and and that was that was the attraction. Janelle Parks Graham, it has been an absolute privilege and a really good time to interview you. Thank you for being a guest. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to watch Uphill Climb, now streaming on Peacock. NBC Sports presents coverage of the 2023 Tour de France Femme of X-Swift beginning Sunday, July 23rd, with all eight stages of the race streaming live on Peacock. And be sure to watch NBC Sports coverage of the 110th edition of the Tour de France on Peacock, concluding with the final stage on Sunday, July 23rd, live on Peacock at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.